Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, it's estimated soil salinity is affecting anywhere from 5 to 10 million acres of Canadian prairie land. Establishing perennial forages is one of the top recommended methods to manage saline soils for the long term. Recently, there was a forage crop walk near Melford, Saskatchewan, where local farmer Harvey Haven shared his story of how he converted 90 acres of poorly producing saline land to productive forage, which is now baled each year by another farmer. And agri-environmental specialist Charlotte Ward also spoke at the tour and said there are a number of forage blends available. The producer just needs to know what he wants to do with that forage crop. The Canola Council of Canada unveiled a new program offering financial support to help growers initiate or advance for our nutrient stewardship on canola acres. The program, called Canola for Our Advantage, will reimburse growers for up to 85% of eligible costs, up to $12,000 per farm per year. Curtis Bremple is the Council's Vice President of Crop Production and Innovation, and he will tell us more about the program. After the break, Harvey Haven and Charlotte Ward. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Harvey, first of all, thank you so much for hosting this forage crop walk today. You and uh, your son Ryan spoke today about this particular 90 acres that you said you said in 2016 or 17 it was white. So in 2016, so obviously a decision had to be made. Uh, so tell us about the process of converting it to this lovely field we see here. <laughs> well, I, I think I mentioned to, to the whole group here that uh, we'd been farming it since 1964 when in, there was uh, some grass on here, uh, brome here on, at that time. Uh, but uh, it had quack grass in it, and uh, so we eventually worked it up soon after. And uh, we tried uh, cereal crops on it, and uh, we even tried canola once or twice, which was a total failure. And uh, we found that six-year-old barley and uh, oats weren't weren't uh, too bad, but you, you only got a quarter or a half a crop. Harvest was such a pain because uh, anytime you get rain on saline soil, well, uh, cereals all start growing again. The second growth was uh, was phenomenal, and uh, kosher and. Uh, Foxtail barley do really well on saline soil, mm-hmm. it seems. <laughs> so when when uh, one of the other specialists was saying that that uh, uh, foxtail barley is is uh, not a big uh, concern because it's not very competitive, well, I, <laughs> I sometimes felt that uh, when God created uh, heaven and earth here, He wanted a little hell on earth, and so He created mosquitoes to to give the human population <laughs> some issues. And, and I think uh, wild oats, uh, Canada thistle, and foxtail barley was was uh, a little bit of hell on earth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for, for farming, anyway, that's uh, beside the point. So. Uh, I guess uh, come 2016, we had a very high table, uh, water table. Uh, the crop on here was was almost non-existent on a number of acres here. Uh, so something had to be done because we were just losing money on it, and the, the cost of seeding it was uh, more than what the, the uh, crop production was. So had to do something, and. Uh, 
at that time, uh, tile drainage was non-existent in this area, and, and uh, besides, we don't have the uh, the elevation here for any any place to drain. Really, it would mean pumping of some sort and uh, pumping it onto a neighbor that doesn't want salty water either. So. Uh, I called up Lyle Cowell and uh, got, I, I think, really good advice. He said, uh, put saline master on, on there and uh, and give it a go. So that's exactly what we did. And uh, uh, we got a perfect uh, fall or per- perfect spring in 2017 uh, for establishing uh, a forage crop on here. And uh, it, it took very, very well. And in 2018, then, the first uh, crop was baled off of it. And uh, yeah, we got yeah, pretty good production, I thought. But since then, it's it's been a little less. And uh, and last uh, year it, was very dry. Last so year was, was terrible. Been, we yeah. went from 300 bales to last year it was mm-hmm. 45. And now this year it's 162 again. Uh, I actually thought the stand was was better than than that. I, I expected 200, but uh, what will be is will be. So and, tell me a little bit about what your plans are. Um, you know, it has been bailed. You've left a small strip here for us to take a look at what, what it looked like. Yeah. And uh, so is, uh, are you going to continue on, uh, fertilize, uh, try cropping it again? Yeah, What's the plan? Oh, well, my plan is, is pretty simple. She, One of the speakers, Charlotte, uh, gave a number of uh, options here. And... Uh, uh, what uh, she has advised me to do is to do a soil test uh, end of August, first part of September. And so I'm going to do a soil test, and I'm going to get uh, hold of Charlotte and send the results to her, and she's going to tell me what to do. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. I suspect it's going to mean either uh, just broadcasting some urea on it uh, in early in the spring. Uh, this is what I'm ex- anticipating. Or she might uh, suggest that we uh, knife in uh, a little bit of alfalfa and uh, uh, fertilizer, principally nitrogen, uh, early in the spring uh, in hopes that we can get some alfalfa established and not have to continue to fertilize. Uh, the, the price of fertilizer uh, uh, on here for for the amount of extra production you you uh, gain is uh, it's questionable whether or not especially when, when I have no need for the for the forage yeah. I'm, I'm uh, getting it at uh, custom bales and, and he's buying the, the uh, hay from it and that, uh, I think well, he's making as much off it as I am yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I if, if we had our own herd and, and uh, could use the the forage that it would be maybe different economics yeah absolutely uh, uh, so that's my plan great no that's super <laughs> yeah. well thanks so much for sharing your story uh it's nice to see production on something that was white just a few short years ago and uh we'll have to stay in touch and see what happens next year <laughs> thanks for your thank time thank you very much alice good all right, uh, Charlotte, so uh, great presentations here today. Um, and you talked a lot about some of the blends that are available, but maybe first of all, just explain for people don't, that don't understand the seriousness of soil salinity, what happens with bare saline ground? 
So bare saline ground um, causes a number of issues. Number one, weeds probably is the most obvious one, um, whether it be kochia, foxtail barley. Um, weeds, they can then spread if we don't contend with it, contaminate feed sources for livestock. Um, essentially, the other biggest thing in my mind is it's a it's a losing money proposition once you have weeds there nothing's growing we need to be able to pull something out of it some way shape or form so that people aren't continuing to lose money you don't have to make a lot of money on it but just continue not to lose money and figure out how we're gonna get something of these acres there are lots of blends available uh, lots of options lots of decisions to be made so i guess it's important for the producer or the rancher to know exactly what they need and and where they plan on seeding it yeah so one of the first things i always do when i'm talking to a producer I say tell me what your goal is do you want to do livestock feed are you going to hay it are you going to pasture it or do you simply just want ground cover there so that you're not getting up with these weeds that are spreading into other areas or the salinities increasing so the first thing in my mind is always to figure out the goal. From there, we start talking about the blends. Um, things like, you know, how saline is it? Is it wet? Is it droughty? And we can tweak the blend based on those parameters. Um, one of the other things I always ask the guys is, so once we get it in, um, how long are you planning on leaving it in? Because real, in reality, salinity is not a three or four year fix. We're probably looking at 10 years out. So make sure we have some long species in there and that down the road, it continues to do what we need it to do. So in that 10 year plan, then can that be returned to cropping? It depends on how saline it is. I've had guys who will put it in and, you know, they were only leaving it for five years. It convinced them to leave it longer. And suddenly they said, you know what? I've made an agreement with a neighbor who wants to hay it. Or in the case of a mixed operation, they have, to have a source for that feed. That it's not really worth the headache anymore of trying to get into those acres. They're often wet in the spring, uh, can cause some issues there. And so there might be a mutual benefit either to a neighbor they can work an agreement or to other pieces of their operations. They have a way to use that forage. There are some programs available and we won't go into a lot of detail now. Uh, so uh, what are some just general programs that are available for producers? So right now, the one that I'm involved with through the Ministry of Agriculture is the Farm Stewardship Program. So we have a BMP or Beneficial Management Practice that guys can access to seed uh, perennial forage down with the idea of being a little more long-term, not something that's going to be short-term. Um, other programs that producers have access to would be Ducks Unlimited has some forage perennial uh, programs there, some specific to margin acres for salinity and then we have another program that producers have access to that is called the marginal acres it's called the mars program the mars program and so that is being delivered by sask soil so there's a few different programs out there that guys can tap into for funding because we realize that perennial forages are not um uh low-cost endeavor right off the bat there's a there's an outlay of cash and some field prep that they need to make sure they get it right um because we're looking at what could be the benefit five ten years down the line uh lots of specialists available through uh saskatchewan agriculture through the ministry and uh, farmers can always contact one of the offices and speak to a specialist yeah, we've got 10 offices across the province. So um, on the east side of the province, there would be uh, Humboldt, Yorkton, uh, PA. Um, further south, we get down to Weyburn. But there's 10 of us across, there's 10 areas across the province. Um, there is a complement of whether it be agri-environmental specialists, range management extension, egg programs, crop specialists, livestock and feed.
need, um, you name it, we kind of have you covered. And worst case scenario, if you can't figure out who your local person is, a call to the Agriculture Knowledge Centre is always a great option. And they will put you in the direction of the right person. Thanks for your time, Charlotte. Thank you very much. That was Harvey Haven, a Malfort area farmer and agri-environmental specialist Charlotte Ward talking about some options for producers who were dealing with unproductive saline soil. After the break, Curtis Rempel with the Canola Council of Canada will tell us about a financing program for 4R nutrient stewardship on canola acres. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. With me is the Vice President of Crop Production and Innovation with the Canola Council of Canada, Curtis Rempel. We're talking about a new program that will be offering some financial support to growers to initiate or advance for our nutrient stewardship on canola acres. So first of all, Curtis, give us some details about this new program. It's called the Canola for Our Advantage, and it offers incentives to help growers initiate or advance for our nutrient stewardship practices on canola acres, as you mentioned. And it, it sort of builds on our, our track record. Canadian canola growers are leaders in sustainability, and and we're pleased that we can help growers um, through through accessing these funds to uh, to keep building on this excellent track record of of sustainability and increased uh, in, increasing yields. When uh, will this program begin? It starts this year. The program was announced uh, in February, and so funding um, elig- eligible expenses will be. Uh, will be available for reimbursement um, up until uh, going back until February 7th, I believe, uh, 2022. So this year is in scope already for for our Advantage uh, participation. For anyone who might not know, what is for our nutrient stewardship? It's a, now a fairly well-recognized international uh, initiative and it basically uh, looks at, yeah, the four R's are right product, right place, right time, right rate. And so each of the, each of our uh, four R, our advantage, BNPs, uh, focuses on one of these, these uh, four R practices. And so, yeah, the, the, I think the tenet of four R nutrient stewardship is basically uh, looking at, at um, optimizing uh, fertilizer inputs, um, including nitrogen, and 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 gal- yeah, getting a balanced fertility uh, portfolio into a field, and basically it's it's looking at optimizing profitability and reducing production risk by uh, by paying attention to op- optimizing your fertility program. So, for interested producers, when does the application process begin? We're actually officially taking app, uh, applications starting on August 17th. So as of yet, we're not taking any official applications, but our portal opens on our Canola Council website um, August 17th. But we're encouraging growers and uh, agronomists who are working with growers to visit our website already and look at uh, become familiar with the program criteria, et cetera, in advance of application. Is it the intent or do you see this as a tool that will help producers meet Ottawa's target of reducing fertilizer emissions by 30% by 2030? 
that's the the uh, stated um, one of the stated aims of the of the federal government program. And so, yeah, they're looking at. I think you hit the you you also stated correctly. They're looking at 30% emissions reductions. And so, um, we we know from scientific literature and uh, and producer best practices, um, sort of globally that that for our for our nutrient is one of the one of the ways of being able to optimize yields profitability, reduce risk while also um, reducing nitrous oxide emissions. So I think it, it really fits the strategic direction of the of the Canola Council and the canola industry. As you know, we're committed to increasing yields to fifty two bushels an acre. And we believe that we can we can increase yields and also uh, improve our our environmental footprint on the prairies. So the launch is going to uh, coincide with the start of the canola harvest. We're, we're hoping so. Um, yeah. It, it. Yes. I think it. It. It should, and it. It allows for. Uh, yeah. A lot. The, the fact that we have some scope to go back earlier in the year, uh, and also then uh, start. Planning forward allows us to uh, really, I think, work with producers in terms of nutrient management plans. Curtis, was there anything else you wanted to share? We're pleased to be able to offer this program. Um, it's a direct-to-grower incentive program, and we think that's really important. And it, it allows us to uh, it allows growers either to initiate or advance their for our nutrient stewardship um, practices on their canola acres. And uh, I think it's going to uh, bring about some some great outcomes across the prairies. Curtis Rampol is the Vice President of Crop Production and Innovation with the Canola Council of Canada. This is the Agriculture News and Review for the week of August 8th, 2022. First of all, farm tractor sales reported a drop in July right across the country. The Association of Equipment Manufacturers report said tractor sales were down 10.7%, down in all two-wheel drive sectors, but there was an increase of 28% in four-wheel drive tractors. Combine harvester sales declined 32% last month to 247 units sold. Year-to-date tractor sales were down 8.3% in Canada, while combines were down 22%, reversing the improved report in June. AEM Senior Vice President Kurt Blades said the trend in farm equipment sales have followed the North American economy. CN Rail released its grain plan for the 2022-23 crop year. David Shednovic is Assistant Vice President for Grain. He said he was confident the adjustments that had been made in operations, including recruiting and hiring, the acquisition of more high-efficiency hopper cars, as well as investments in infrastructure on the prairies along the coast as well, will aid the company in moving the anticipated volumes over the course of the crop year. The 2021-22 grain volumes were reduced due to drought, while severe weather events, the pandemic, and the war in Ukraine disrupted supply chains.
Olds College and Agriculture Financial Services Corporation have created a formal partnership. AFSC will provide financial aid for applied research activities at Olds Smart Farm. Colds College Associate Vice President of Applied Research, Dr. Joy Agnew, said this is a five-year agreement with AFSC committing up to $100,000 a year. The two organizations are already collaborating on three new projects, including hail damage classification using drones, analyzing soil moisture probe measurements for moisture deficiency, and exploring soil moisture, weather, and forage biomass relationships. The Saskatchewan Pork Development Board will be conducting a three-year project to shed new light on the frequency and application of antimicrobial drugs being administered on provincial hog farms. The benchmarking project will provide a more detailed look at antibiotic use. It will assist in helping producers make more informed decisions regarding the prudent and effective use of these drugs. Rainit Carr is the manager of producer services and on-farm food safety programs for SAS Pork. She said information generated through the study will help establish provincial guidelines for farm-level antimicrobial use on hog farms. Fertilizer giant Nutrient has found its new president and CEO following a months-long global talent search. Ken Seitz was previously the interim CEO, holding that post since January. He previously headed up its potash operation. Nutrient said it achieved record results under Seitz's leadership amid sweeping changes in agricultural markets and unprecedented global food security challenges. Seitz grew up on a dairy farm in Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan-based Prairie Clean Energy has completed a successful trade mission to Japan. The company is developing a waste straw pelleting plant. CEO Mark Cooper says that the pellets will sell as biomass fuel for power generation. He said Japan is a key market, and he met with several major trading companies. He expects to be signing a partnership deal with Japanese-based Renova in the coming weeks. The company will be processing up to 60,000 tons of flax straw in the coming year from a $2 million facility in Regina. Canadian aid agencies were warning that the world food crisis made worse by the war in Ukraine is leading in a rise in underage girls being forced into marriage. Plan International said it's been seeing a worrying increase in the number of teenage girls in the developing world being forced into marriage because their families can't afford to feed them. The agency said 12 million girls under the age of 18 become child brides each year, forcing them to abandon school while putting their health at risk through early pregnancies. And Canada's agriculture minister said youth are the future of agriculture and agri-food. Marie-Claude Bebo unveiled the names of the members who will form the second cohort of the Canadian Agricultural Youth Council. The inaugural meeting of the new group of 25 will be held later this summer. The members of the cohort will serve 18 months. The council's main task is to ensure that the perspectives of youth and agriculture are well understood and help to inform policy programs, planning and decision making. And Taiwan-based Foxconn said it will build driverless electric tractors at its Lordstown, Ohio plant starting in early 2023. 
The agreement with California-based Monarch Tractor is the first manufacturing contract Foxconn has entered into since purchasing the Ohio facility that was formerly a General Motors assembly plant. Production for Monarch's battery-powered MKV series tractor is scheduled to begin in the first quarter. The company made the announcement as heavy equipment manufacturers Deere and Company and Anco said they were looking at the electric vehicle market as well. Foxconn is the world's largest contract electronics maker and is best known for assembling the Apple iPhone. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.